0: is
1: as Jesus is feeling the overwhelm and the distress of what is coming he wanted his people to be there. And so he invited these men to join him in a moment of pretty tremendous vulnerability. He says, sit here while I go and pray over there. Jesus doesn't need them there, but he wants them there.
0: American culture is contradictory. We're told that teamwork makes the dream work, while at the same time being encouraged to stand on our own two feet. Well, it's true that you and I need to have initiative. There are times when you need others. Pastor Daniel is going to show today that Jesus, our example, when he was at the hardest place in his life, actively sought out the companionship of those closest to him. Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Matthew chapter 26 as he begins his message, Jesus prays. Jesus said.
1: So for each one of us, in the big moments of life, when something important is happening, it always feels right when your people are there, right? When there's people there to encourage, just to let you know that they're there. I experience this pretty beautifully pretty much every Sunday morning before I come here to Crossroads. You know, I get up on a Sunday morning and seek the Lord, and then invariably, before it's almost time to leave, I hear my youngest, Annabelle. So Annabelle's eight. And Annabelle is probably like 35 pounds, dripping wet with all of her clothes on. But you know she's coming, because she's in like that stomping phase of being a kid, where it's like, you're not really aware of how hard you're stepping. I could hear Annabelle coming from a mile away, she's like Bigfoot. But sure enough, she comes downstairs it's just this morning. She's like, Dad, I'm so happy I caught you because I want to pray over you before you go to church today. And, and it's almost every Sunday. And she just stops and she comes over. She lays her hand on my shoulder and she says something effective. God, will you bless Dad and help him preach the best message he can? And then you do your work, you know, in Jesus name. And it's so sweet. So like she is just there with me because it's like before I leave to come to church, it's like I'm thinking about the message and what's going on. And like on a day like today where I'm getting to play bass and do baby dedications, and I'm like, okay, got to keep all this together in my heart. And then normally my bride Lynn will come and she'll pray for me, but it, it makes it so beautiful because it's like. I'm called to do this, but we get to do it together as a family. And there's just something about, in those big moments, your people being there. We saw this also this week. You know, I told you about my middle child, Maranatha, so she's a freshman in high school. And in the fall, she played volleyball, but in the winter, she wanted to play basketball. So sure enough, she went out for the basketball team, and as a freshman, she made the junior varsity, but she swings up to the varsity. So she's been playing varsity basketball now. And it was cool because in her first game, we were like, man, we need to get there on time because she was even saying like, man, I'm playing on the varsity and man, this is big, dad, you know? And she was, she was concerned about it. just thinking about it, you know? And so sure enough, we got there early and I saw her, we got into the gymnasium and we found our little seat in the corner so I don't get in too much trouble because I'm the parent with the big mouth who wants to keep, the good witness of Crossroads solid in the community by not getting thrown out of the game. But it was so cute because she just looked up and she saw me and she just gave me a little smile and it was like, because we're her people, we wanted to be there for her. And so much of life, especially in those times of vulnerability, those times when you're stepping out, you just kinda need people to be there. People just to let you know, hey, I see you, I'm here with you, I'm for you. And in some ways, in our very busy, our overly scheduled million options culture, that's kind of something that's falling by the wayside. Where we live in a culture that is more connected digitally, but people feel more alone. But we have to always remember that God created us for relationships. And we need one another, each one of us, we need one another. And it's been beautiful. As we've been doing this series that we're calling Vulnerable God, it's been meeting me and ministering to me in very unique ways. As we look at God, who we know is all-powerful, but we see God as the most vulnerable. What we celebrate at Christmas, the all-powerful creator God taking on human skin and walking through this world with us, in tremendous vulnerability, we've been just looking at all the different ways we see Jesus as vulnerable, and there's so much that we learn from it, so much that I'm learning from it. And so today, we're gonna look at another almost shocking view of Jesus, in vulnerability, We're going to see uh, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. So if you could open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to take verses 36 to 46 together. So picking up in verse, I just want you to read along. I'm not making this stuff up. It's in God's word, and that's why we study. We want to know what it says here. Now, before we get into the passage, it's important to put this in context of where we are in the story of Jesus. Now, you have to realize that The series it's christmas season and christmas is the time that we celebrate or commemorate the birth of jesus god taking on flesh and dwelling among us but you have to realize that the birth of jesus is so important because of jesus's ultimate death and resurrection you have to realize that jesus's road to calvary which is where he was crucified it began with no room at the inn being laid in a manger. And what makes Jesus' birth important is ultimately God's purpose for Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah. And as we jump into the story here in Matthew 26, we're right at the tension point for the life of Jesus. We actually find Jesus in almost his last 24 hours before he dies on the cross for your sins and my sins and the sins of the world. He's moved through his community healing, preaching, God was moving in amazing ways and all sorts of issues in between. At this point, Jesus has offended all the people in power in every camp. And now it's at that moment where they want to cancel Jesus. Everyone's just like, we are done with Jesus. This guy is a problem. We need to get rid of him. And so there's a plan in place to arrest him and ultimately to have him tried. And their hope was that Jesus would be killed. Jesus had sat down with his disciples at that Passover meal. And as they passed around the bread, he would say, You know, this unleavened bread that's broken, that you have spent every year of your life growing up partaking of the Passover meal? It was actually never about the unleavened bread, only this is my body which is broken for you. He took that cup. And for the disciples, they had celebrated Passover every single year. They'd always pass those cups of wine around. He's like, oh, but this isn't just commemorating the blood of a lamb who was killed so that the angel of death passed over the generation who left Egypt at the time of Moses. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Every time you drown, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And then Jesus left there. Judas left to go complete his plan to betray Jesus, and then we drop into the story. Look at what it says. This is verse 36, Matthew 26. It says, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Jesus finishes his time with the disciples and they go to this place called Gethsemane. Now what's interesting is Gethsemane, the word literally means an olive press. And the reason why I think that's important is because He's really on the east side of Jerusalem. And, you know, one day as a church, we'll do a trip to Israel. It'll be super fun in the Holy Land. If you've never been there, you have to go. I remember Lynn and I, my bride, we went when Obadiah was just under one year old. It's so funny. Obadiah actually took his first steps walking in the old city of Jerusalem. It was super cool. He hasn't been walking, so we didn't have sneakers. He was wearing, like, these bunny slippers. Like, Obadiah was rolling through the Holy Land in bunny slippers. You know, and he was just, like, walking around. And it was really powerful because if you were to leave Jerusalem and you go to the east side, The mount of olives it's a really steep incline and it's all olive groves so the fact that it was called gethsemane for the olive press it was a place where they made all the oils from all the olives and i remember lynn and i we walked up the mount of olives there and there's a steep incline and we found this little park remember that sweetheart we went into this little park and it was a beautiful little park we had some funky interactions there but we met the guy who tended to the park and he came over to us. He's like, are you Christian pilgrims? And we're like, yeah. He's like, I tend this park because Christians come because this is where Jesus prayed before he was crucified. And he had a little, I think it was his granddaughter, and Obadiah and the granddaughter were playing. And we, and we must have talked with this guy for an hour. He was telling me about all the area there. And it was so powerful because all around it, there's still all these olive groves. And it was a place where they made olive oil, but the reason it was called Gethsemane, is not only they made olives, but this was also a place where Jesus is getting press. And we see it here, because it says, after this had happened, Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. See, what we learn here is that Jesus needed relationships like we do. They'd all been together. they have been celebrating the Passover, but now Jesus needs to do something else, but he doesn't do it alone. He brings Peter and the sons of Zebedee, who are James and John. These three out of his 12 apostles experienced the same things as everyone else, but they were also there, like with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Do you remember when Jesus' glory turned outward? Peter, James, and John were there. Now, as Jesus is feeling the overwhelm and the distress of what is coming, he wanted his people to be there. And so he invited these men to join him in a moment of pretty tremendous vulnerability. He says, sit here while I go and pray over there. Jesus doesn't need them there, but he wants them there. And then what's amazing is it says in verse 37 that Jesus began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then it says, and Jesus said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. Now, does it strike any of you as profound that not only is Jesus experiencing the sorrow and distress. But Jesus is vulnerable enough with these men to actually tell them. He says, my soul is overwhelmed right now. Now, this is so powerful because if we were to write a story wanting people to believe in a man who pleased God so much that he conquered sin and death, we would almost, in the 21st century, never put a detail like this in there, that not only was he distressed and sorrowful, but he actually told people he was. Now I think that this is so important because nobody has it all together. Nobody is always great all the time. And we live in a culture where people suffer so much in silence. Because we live in a plastic culture, we live in an airbrush culture, we live in a culture where never let them see you sweat. But for the child of God, Jesus actually teaches us how to be really human. Not fake human, not contrived human, but really and part of that involves being vulnerable enough to tell people that I'm not okay. I'm not doing well. Now, Jesus isn't expecting them to fix his situation. He just knows that in my distress, I need my people. I want my people to be there. I've been thinking about this a lot. The holidays can be challenging, but we've had a lot. You know, there's been a suicide in the news. I actually have a friend who just lost her husband, death by suicide, just last week. Just talked to someone earlier today. Uh, And i got to be honest with you. In almost every case, nobody knew. Now, here's what I want to tell you. If you're here today and you are struggling with those you need to tell somebody, please. Please. And I realize our culture, it's like letting people in is scary. And most of us, the reason we don't let people in is we've been hurt before. But I'm here to tell you, Jesus is modeling for us a very real and honest vulnerability Where he's like, listen, my soul is exceedingly sore. I feel like I'm dying while I'm alive. That's what Jesus is saying. And... I want to encourage you, do not suffer in silence. I'm here to tell you, we're going to see in the story, sometimes the people you tell, they don't actually help. They actually can't help. Sometimes they aren't there for you in the way you need. But we need as a culture to learn how not to suffer in silence, but to learn how to invite people in to where we are because Jesus is the only one who has it all together, and he gets there. How much more people like you and I? Oh, listen, God created us for life God loves life. And I realize for people in places where they are contemplating and struggling, I realize that it seems like, man, it'd be better if I am went here. I'm like, no, you were created to be here. So brothers and sisters, listen, we need to, the church of Jesus Christ should be the one place that people can come when they're struggling and say, I am struggling so bad right now. Because Jesus taught us this. Now, why was Jesus struggling? Now think about this. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's been God throughout the foundation of the earth. Then he enters his creation in the incarnation, what we celebrate at Christmas. And for all of eternity, as the holy God, he knows his own, God's own hatred of sin, hatred of rebellion. In the Minor Prophets, it says that God is so holy, he can't even behold iniquity. And Jesus is aware that in the next 24 hours, not only am I going to behold iniquity, I'm going to become sin on the cross. And Jesus, as the perfect holy God, absolutely knows all of God's righteous anger against that rebellion. And he's like, I am going to experience spiritually, emotionally, physically, all of the judgment that's due for all of the sin that's ever been committed in his own body. I mean, you think about at the cross where Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was said that Martin Luther, the great German reformer, he would sit in his study and he was contemplating and praying about this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was there all day. And then finally, he got so frustrated, he got up and he threw his ink well, because it was before they had, like, ink in the pen, you had to dip and scratch, you know. He threw his ink well against the wall, and he said, God forsaking God, who can fathom this? Jesus could fathom it. Because in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus' soul is being pressed. He knows that he's going to become sin and be judged for it. And it's overwhelming him. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't keep it to himself. Jesus steps on. Listen, Jesus knew what was in the heart of his apostles. Jesus knew these guys. He'd been walking with them for three and a half years. There was no doubt. Jesus knew these guys were knuckleheads, but they were his knuckleheads. He knew how this was going to go, but he told them anyway. And what I really want to encourage you is, one, if you're struggling, please talk to people. Call our office, talk to us, tell your loved ones. But also, I want to encourage all of you. Will you make space in your life to be the kind of a person that people can tell? Peter and James and John don't try to fix Jesus at all. They don't say anything. They don't like trying to handle him. They showed up and they're just there. And I think sometimes we know we should show up, but we don't because we're scared. What am I supposed to say? Rick Warren always says it this way. He says, our job is to show up and to shut up. Which I always thought, I'm like, well, this is really good. It's pithy, but it's true because oftentimes, if you've ever been in a tough place when someone shows up and they try and tell you how you're supposed to live your life, doesn't it kind of like pour salt in the wounds? You just need people who are going to be there. It's really the presence of loved ones is what helps. This happened to me. So many of you know my story. My mother passed away when I was 21. I wasn't a believer at the time. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I had a couple friends who had started to walk with Jesus and they were being discipled by an older gentleman named Larry, Larry Bauer. I remember because when we were freshmen, my buddies who were like 19, they were like hanging out with this guy, Larry. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing hanging out with the old guy? Like, I just didn't know. Like, oh, he's my friend. And I'm like, okay, so your friends are like this old dude. You know, I did not understand it at all. But Larry was around. And so I remember, like, I would talk to Larry, and he would talk with my friends, and he would always talk with me. But when my mother passed away, Larry came to my mom's funeral service. He was there. I remember, because when I saw him, so like, I'm all Italian, so like, there's like a bigger Italian army in the New York metropolitan area than there are in Italy. You know what I mean? So when my mother it was like wall-to-wall people. This church was like packed with people. But I saw Larry, and I'm like, I wonder why Larry's here. It was odd to me. I didn't really know him. I kind of knew him, but not someone who would like come to that. And I remember, I kid you not, the first time I ever spoke in a pulpit was at my mom's funeral. They asked me to do part of the eulogy. It was the first time I ever spoke in a church before. I always think about that. Like, oh, that was where I started before I even know Jesus. But I remember after the service was over, you know, it was just wall-to-wall people. And I remember I walked out of the church, and it was just, you know, Italians are gregarious and emotional people and very touchy-feely. So there was like 97 million hugs. That's why I have a beard. I have indentions in my cheeks. so made my cheeks squeeze so much for so long. But I remember I walked out of this church, and I saw Larry was like almost in the parking lot, but he was just standing there, standing there. And the whole time, everyone's hugging and kissing and crying and all this stuff. And Larry just waited. He just like stood there. Almost everyone was gone. Just like my immediate family there. And then Larry, this guy I don't really know that well, Larry walked on over and he gave me a big old hug and he said, how you doing, brother? And I just started bawling. Like ugly cried all over his shirt, bawling. And Larry just hugged, he just hugged me. It was like the first time I had cried the whole day. And then after it was over, Larry's just like, I'm always here for you. And what's amazing is, is I'll never forget that. And now to this day, Larry has been a mentor in my life. Like I talk to him once a month. He lives in San Diego. We get on the phone. And for my entire life in Jesus, Larry has been just one of those people. But it all began with Larry just showing up, not because he even was invited. He just was there. And I love that Jesus is relational just the way we are, that in a time of great distress, Jesus wants Peter, James, and John there, and he's willing to tell them. So brothers and sisters, be the kind of people that people can talk to. Be the kind of people who, in the midst of all of the discussions, you stop and say, listen, listen. How are you really doing? Is there anything that you need? Is there anything that's keeping you scared, worrying you? Is there anything that you should tell someone that nobody knows? And listen, if people ask you those questions, sometimes you tell people and they just don't do a good job handling that. Well, let me read you a scripture here. So listen, this kind of frames this. Galatians 5, verses 13 and 14 says, for you, brethren have been called to liberty. Only, do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I love that. Through love, what? Serve one another. Jesus
0: is When you're at your lowest it's good to have friends around you even if they don't do or say anything to help you find an answer or feel better their presence just brings comfort this is what pastor daniel showed about jesus today you were reminded that even though jesus was god he was also human he had all the needs that you have and when he wanted what we call moral support he wasn't afraid to ask for that from his friends hey everybody Pastor Daniel
1: here, lead pastor of Crossroads Community Church in Vancouver, Washington. We would love to connect with you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you are not able to join us in person, connect with us online at live.crossroadschurch.net or find us on Facebook at Go, the number two, and Crossroads.
0: Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Next time on Jesus Is Real Radio, Pastor Daniel will continue teaching about this most stressful and vulnerable time in Jesus' life. Pastor Daniel is going to teach about Jesus' begging of the Father to find another way to fulfill what had to be done to redeem mankind. You'll also learn that real prayer, the kind that is honest with God, doesn't have to be long. It's about quality, not quantity. You've been listening to Jesus is Real Radio with Pastor Daniel Fusco, Crossroads Community Church. Pastor Daniel will continue teaching through this series called Vulnerable God. Next time. Until then, may God bless.